Hi, and you're very welcome to episode 38 of the Women's League of Ireland podcast here on FinalWhistle.ie with myself, Brefney Early, and of course, uh, the ever-reliable uh, and enthusiastic and knowledgeable on all things LOI women, Aaron Clark. Aaron, uh, another week, another international break. Um, welcome back to the show. Yeah, another international break. How many have we had this year? This stage, it's, I'm losing count. I think we've had what another week. I think at this stage we've been breaking. The and we and we still have another one to come before the end of the year as well. It's uh, thankfully the next one, the league will be finished. Been a bit of a mad couple of weeks with, with fixtures being called off. We've had storms. We've had everything. It's just been mental. And the international the international breaks started coming off the back of teams not playing a game. I, I know we'll be speaking about the fixtures from the weekend. I think I seen Phil Trill saying that God we played the first game in like 32 days or something last weekend. And it's just been it's been a mad old time with fixtures called off the weather, summer football, but it's coming into winter now. Yeah, but I think it's it's been a, a very positive year for the game in the country as well. I know we talked about kind of there's been managerial changes in the top job and for the Irish national team. There's been the World Cup. There's been players kind of stepping out on the the world stage and really making an impact, uh, both here and and in on the international stage and in the WSL and, and other places as well. But it's been a a kind of a really really breakthrough year, I think, for for the sport at least, if not maybe for the league just yet. We haven't quite seen that trickle down economics. Um, come into the league just yet, but I, I think we're probably going to see it over the course of the next uh, twelve to twenty-four months. Thoughts yeah, on it's been yeah, it's been it's been highly positive. Like for me, you're you're, you're looking at highlights, and I think as much as everybody talks about the World Cup, the All Ireland Cup was a re- was a real highlight. It worked very well. We've seen two new teams, albeit Athlone's was the President of the Cup. It was the first time it happened, getting their hands on silver with Athlone and Galway. The sort of domino effect of always being the, the top teams. Everybody sort of thought we'd see one team because of the financials dominate the league. We haven't seen that. We've seen the story of the underdogs this year with P-mounts. Like, there's just been so many different stories written that have been mesmerizing. Like we've talked about Treaty United and Anne-Marie Uliak in goals, sort of the number of goals conceded compared to last year. We look at it across the board, the amount of youngsters, 15, 16-year-olds making their debuts, things like that. But there's, there's been positives, but there's also been some stuff in terms of you'd like to see better. There's been the likes of the under-17s losing all three games in the recent playoffs. The under-19s got off to a, a losing start yesterday. Like there's, there's still worrying times in terms of the development of Irish football. College football is back on now, but the problem is, is it's hard to find out who's playing where and when unless... The college has actually tweeted about it, so there's there's lots that's, of still. That's not true anymore. Uh, credit where credit is due, the the fixtures at least, uh, maybe not necessarily the results always, but the fixtures are on the FAI Connect app. Which yeah, um, the only go up on the day, the only go up on the day. Okay, a lot of time the only go up on the day. Uh, I I have seen them a couple of days ahead of time in, in places, but uh, the FAI Connect it has its flaws, but it's vastly superior to what has been there in the past. I still believe, uh, I am completely biased, I still believe that we give as good, uh, here on Final Whistle, that we give uh, probably as good coverage of the junior game, at least, uh, as anybody else. But in terms of the uh, the fixtures for the women's side, I actually was flicking through it the other day, so I, uh, I have to give them credit where it's due. It could be better, and it could be more urgently updated with results and fixtures um, rather than just proactively waiting for them to come in. I think that should be something the FAI should look at next in terms of actually having someone whose job it is. Yes, it'll cost them money. Yes, it'll cost them uh, frustration and all of the things that go associated with 
getting these scores, but it needs to be quicker. Uh, in the modern day, we expect it to be instant. Anything less than a couple of minutes to wait for a result, you just get frustrated and you don't come back to the platform. So um, that's important. But I'm, I, going to, better than I'm, go, I'm going to say something here and you're not going to believe I'm going to say it because we've had many disagreements in terms of how we think Irish football should go. But I really am coming around to the idea now after seeing some of the college lineups this weekend, this week, that college football is the, is the next step we need to take for the intermediary, intermediary before we, we 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 can we can bridge that gap because you know, I'm just looking at the amount, amount of players that are going yeah. away without education. Some are going with education. And I just think education is probably the best way now, as I've been thinking about this, to keep the players in the league, to Listen. have a real scholarship system, to have a real opportunity system because you look you just looked the, the other day um go billy cleary's go played ucd you look at some of the players who are playing for ucd playing for different national league clubs you look at the galway team players playing for a couple of different clubs it's just vastly spread and i just think to me that's probably the finally coming around to the idea that that, that is probably the way the way for that's probably the quickest way forward it's probably the quickest win to actually help keep players in the league and i can see your smile because you finally got me to to come around to this a little bit, but I'm starting to come around to that. I think college football needs to have a massive part in, in everything that's good because funding for college college sports is a lot easier to secure. Well, that's it. These colleges, they have budgets. Now, they don't have National League-type budgets, but they have resources. They have expertise within the units. Uh, some of these colleges have really, really good um, sports science units. They have an ample amount of students begging for the experience um, and I know I spent a season at UCD back in the mid noughties way before the League of Ireland, um, the Women's National showing League. Showing and I am showing my age. And I was coaching. I was already retired playing. And so that's even more showing my age. But it was it was a setup that probably half the teams in the League of Ireland, Women's National League now, and even some of the ones in the Men's National League would have been envious, envious of. Uh, full gym access because the facilities were there on site full strength and condition and access to two full-time staff effect, effectively uh, for half an hour or an hour uh, on training nights beforehand to do the kind of the warm-ups and everything in the gym with a proper program uh, any amount of facilities in terms of pitches because if the, it was raining and one was damaged we'd use a different pitch uh, we had our base but we had alternatives we had astro alternatives all of the colleges now have enough facilities to cater for that the clubs need to be um, entering in and not just taking those facilities, but actually entering into a proper relationship where everybody wins. The student gets an education and gets the experience and gets the social um, life experience of being in college. The college get a really competitive team and get the associated glory that comes with that. And the clubs get this development pathway for their players to really grow them from really exciting potential players under 17 and under 19 into fully-fledged National League players. And there's an opportunity there for everybody in the cycle to get a win out of that. Um, and it's something we need to operate on. And I haven't even mentioned, you've talked at length about the under-23 squads. Um, I'm not still not convinced on that. Uh, I would prefer to see a, a properly funded and properly resourced uh, World University Games. It's no longer in the World University Games. It's the World kind of Students' Cup. I'm not quite sure the, the terminology on it. Um, but I would prefer to see a properly resourced uh, program around competing at that. Ireland's always done really well. Noel King took a side to uh, a semi-final, got beaten on penalties by Russia in 2007 in, in Bangkok. I know they got to a, a semi-final as well in more recent times. I, I wasn't involved, so I, I don't quite know the details, but I know maybe Naples 
I think it might have been Naples a couple of years ago, 2019. Colin and, Bell. Uh, I can't remember who was the manager. It might have been Colin Bell. Um, and so it, Ireland have competed reasonably well when they've had the right focus. Um, otherwise, it's just a waste of money. And I think I really sort of see what Eileen Gleeson does. When we get a new international manager and Eileen Gleeson gets the that that side of the, the role as it currently stands out, off her shoulders, I'm really excited to see where she takes uh, the women's football unit, the league, the underage stuff. And, and I'm disappointed with the underage stuff recently. Um, the, the defeat yesterday, 2-0 to Belgium, it's not the end of the world, but we used to get through those groups without really batting an eyelid. We topped those uh, first qualifying phases at 17s and 19s. Three defeats in the 17s last month or earlier this month um, is not good. And particularly, I think one of them was 6-0 a, a defeat. And like that's just not good enough anymore. Um, but the problem is, it, the problem is, the is for, for the listeners, the problem is, is, is that the second phase, there's no relegation into the second phase of the of the playoffs. So even if you finish fourth, it's not like you get a fourth seed in the elite. There's no like relegation and, and you have to win your group to get back up into the into the top tier. And, and like that sort of thing is a concern because we've never really had had that where we've struggled to sort of do that. Like you look when we hosted the competition a couple of years ago when when played games in Tala, you seen the likes of Abby Larkin play Abby Larkin playing in that stage and then yeah, looking at a lot of the players who were involved, even in the 17s, so some of the players in the 17s who were involved who have National League experience, who've played National League games this year, and you're sort of thinking, okay, you expect, you expect them to, to do quite well when they lose all three games, even that under-19 side. There's a lot of quality in that 19 side, but then to go out and lose 2-0 to Belgium puts them massively on the back foot because realistically... They need to win the next two games, otherwise they're going to be they're they're going to be in trouble as well. And like I'm still disagree with the one thing. I still think the 23s team is, is is needed more than the university games team. And I'll tell you why, because a lot more countries are now going with the 23s team. We've now seen Scotland have one as well. So there's more and more countries that are actually having 23s team. If the if the universities games was going to happen properly in terms of the women's soccer, it need to be across the board with every country. But I don't see a lot of other countries committing the sort of resources as much as it is great i think it I should go hand in hand i just think it's a competitive structure that exists there's nothing there under 23s at the moment so my, but my problem with that is is does it does a university's games there's nothing else like you used to see when greg elverton was in charge of the, the men's under uh, colleges team they played the odd couple of games throughout the year they play games against different colleges countries and things like that but we never even see that with the women that did happen with the women um i was involved with teams that played against ireland northern ireland under 19s uh, from the Republic, it, it it was a kind of a a, a, re, hmm, a reasonably regular fixture list against Scot Scottish universities against Welsh universities. Uh, it did exist. It just maybe mightn't have been on your radar or as high. Profile. It hasn't existed in the last eight to ten years. That's the so problem. Has, yeah. but, but that's point, the problem. But that's what I'm talking about: is bringing that back. And those teams are out there to play. Um, I remember coaching Leinster sides that would have played against the Irish under 19s and 17s back in the day. Sue Ronan at the time would have wanted games. Uh, you would have no problem filling those kind of fixtures or completing a fixture list like that. But it's part of a structured program, not just a, a let's throw a little bit of money at it and, and tick a box. That that can't work. The other, problem, the, other, the other problem with the likes of the 19s now at the minute is the 19s to home base sides play against the likes of National League teams and preseason friendlies. And they're, they're now playing against National League teams and stuff like that. Whereas that's that's what they've now committed to doing, to doing them sort of things. And it's, to me, to be honest with you, there's an awful lot of 
things that need to change in and around the whole structures of Irish football need improvement. And now is the time to sort of reevaluate everything and see what's good, what's not good, what can we improve, what can we what can we develop? What can we grow on? Who can we take structures off England? Can we can we look at things that America do well? Can we look at things that say Sweden do well? Countries like that. Now's the time where we have that opportunity to off the back of the World Cup to say, okay, what worked well, what didn't work well, let's go and improve it. Because the one the one concern you, you would still have is that we're gonna say status quo, everything's gonna be focused around the women's senior team. The rest is sort of a trickle down if they get a, a little bit of extra help, it's the bare minimum. Where it's the same, it's the same with them. A lot of unfortunately, it's the same with the men as well. Where a lot of it is based around the senior men's team. The League of Ireland sort of takes a back step to everything. And to me, you can't have that with women's football, especially in Ireland. Because if you do, we're going to turn around in a couple of years' time and have a have a women's Premier Division where it's the exact same as the men's Premier Division. The gap between that and when players go abroad or play play senior football, they're going to weaker and weaker teams, and it gets even harder. Whereas I think women's football is even more important that we have as much of a, a trajectory to where the women's foot, the way the internationals go. I completely agree with you. And nobody's as critical as the FAI as, as I have been in, at times in the past. But I think to be fair, Eileen Gleason's in the job a wet week. She's been distracted by the situation that's been outside her control within the women's national team that she stepped into that breach for the last few months. She's done a really, really forget, good job. Forget, forget the, what she's doing. In the new no, year. I'm going I'm to go in slightly further. The problem when Eileen Gleason came into that job as well is Eileen came into that job in February. It's full. It was full blaze towards the World Cup, so yeah. there was never going to be really anything done from when Eileen came into that. Forget having to take the senior job for a couple of for a couple of months. Even before that, there was never going to be much change because of the fact that um, you, the, the World Cup was on the horizon. The one thing I will credit the FAI with making a change this year is, and we've seen it in, in conjunction with Fingal County Council, is that transition year course. Like There's players like Hannah Healy on that course, uh, I think young Freya Healy as well. Two players, one for Pima, one for Shelburne. I think there's others as well, but I just haven't got a full list that are playing in National League squads who are, on that, who are going to benefit from having a full year of playing football while actually mixing the classroom as well. And I think that sort of thing is, is a massive step in the right direction to go on equal par with 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 the boys and like that's a step in the right direction. Let's hope, as you say, when Eileen goes back to that job after the Northern Ireland game, she along with Mark Cannon and Jonathan Hill and, and the other the other high ups in the FAI can have a good look at women's football, where we need, what we're lacking. The problem is, is everything is going to come down to a lot of it's going to come down to investment, but. Then again, things that require investment, is there is there other ways we can do it? Is there strategic ways we can do it? Can we look at how we can how we can how we can entice more sponsors? How we can entice because you look at the women's team, the women's team have a lot more sponsors come on board than the men have gotten in recent years. You know, some high profile sponsors with the likes of Cabri's Sky. Like the women's the women's brand is there to, it's there to be invested in. I think it did take a bit of a hit with the Vera Powell situation, but I think with the fact of how they've started the Nations League. They've sort of recovered that and they've started being able to just move on a bit and then put that into the past. We'll talk about the women's international tomorrow night in a little bit more detail in a couple of minutes. But first of all, we better not forget that there actually is a bit of football to be played as well. Uh, three games played in the league last weekend. Uh, none of them really ones that we'll be talking about for much longer than what the next 10 or 15 minutes. But um there's very little jeopardy left in anything really in the league. The players are playing for pride and, and placings at, at this moment in time. The P's have the, the league wrapped up. I suppose that was confirmed. Uh, they w- would have won on a head-to-head or on a kind of better perfor- results against Shamrock Rovers 
on the basis of, of Rovers catching them. That can't even happen anymore. They've won it officially by points and everything now. Uh, two games left to go, three for Shamrock Rovers. They can't catch Piemont even um, with that because of that one-all draw in uh, Ferry Carrick Park at the weekend. Uh, your thoughts on on the, the results of the, the games last weekend? Let's start maybe down in Ferry Carrick Park. Uh, Wexford, very unlucky not to hold on and... Um, and win all three points. It was uh, an early goal from Kylie Murphy. Well worked. Good pullback from Emily Corbett. Murphy got a pass, um, the keeper, and, and put them one up in the first half. And then it was a very, very late OG from Lauren Dwyer. And she was very disappointed. I saw her on Twitter um, talking about how it was her first goal in five years and it was in the wrong net. Um, but I, I, I think Wexford, they probably, they were probably beat, or Rovers were probably the better side throughout the 90 minutes, to be fair. But Wexford, that would have been a big result for them as they go into a, a, an uncertain season ender in terms of changing their brand and their identity to become fully part of the Wexford FC um, project down there. I think apart from P-Mount, Wexford, Wexford have probably been one of the stronger teams since the international break. They've, they've managed to pick up a lot of points. There's no coincidence that with Alan Malloy coming back as well, it's added a bit of extra sparking around the, around the team. And, when they take the lead, you're sort of thinking, okay, it's one of them games. Robbers coming in off the back of the, the cup defeat the Shells. They would be hurting. Did they, they really want second place? Did they really want how, how much did the second place in the league really matter to them? And then with a little bit of good fortune at the end, I felt for Lauren. Um, Lauren is someone who's had horrific injuries in the last number of years. And so and to see her back playing regular as well is, is, is probably one of the highlights for me of this season. And, when she puts into her own that you got to feel for her but as you say Shamrock Roberts probably the better team over the 90 minutes and if they if they come away with nothing they're probably they're probably extremely disappointed from a Roberts viewpoint though the, the point it is enough for the fact that if they win their game in hand against DLR Waves and win their, win their last games they can still finish second place ahead of Shells by a point so for them realistically while they would have wanted the three it's probably not it's probably not the perfect bounce back result but Coming away, not coming away with empty-handed. I think what wasn't was important for Kylie O'Neill to O'Neill's side. Like they've had a good season. You can't say they haven't had a good season, considering you put a fresh what 18, 19 players together, and it's hard to expect them to go and win a league the first time. I'm asking as much as people like us probably put pressure on them to say with the investment that they they should be winning the league. But if they can if they can win the last three games and finish second, I I think it's I think it's a really good season and it's it's, it's a good building block question for you regarding that because i'm split on that whether it's a good season or, or not good season based on on uh on the results i think they would have expected slightly better privately they might not have said that publicly but i think privately i think the people maybe who've no experience of the women's game who might have been part of that decision from the men's side of the of the club may have just thought well if we put in a big budget there we win the league end of story game over and that hasn't materialized for them. They haven't even made the cup final, which will be a big disappointment as well, especially considering it's going to be in Tala. In terms of um, the overall picture in the club, we've seen a lot of whispers now on the men's side about Stephen Bradley's contract and budgets for next year. And um, is that likely to affect the women's side of the club? Like, I'm hearing it. I'm hearing it potentially. It's going to affect the women's side of the club. I'm hearing we may see a we may see a downgrade and in, in, in budget slightly. But the other problem is, is Brefney, they went from having nobody on professional contracts to a lot of players on on decent money as well. Like it was a big investment. Whereas you've seen the likes of Bowes in recent years, they've sort of gradually increased things slightly to where they've come up a little bit more and a little bit more. Whereas I think from a rover's viewpoint, the way they went in full steam ahead with with the the money that we've heard that we're hearing that was thrown around for certain players, 
Like, was it a case that they felt they had to pay over the odds to get players in, to get players to sign for them? Potentially. Was it a wise move? Probably not. You would have you would have liked to have seen, okay, get a couple of players on professional contracts. The problem is, is once they got the likes of the Anya O'Gorman and Anya O'Gorman and Steph Roach, some of the other players did some of the other players just go because the money was too good not to not to take? Whereas would you have got some of them players if you maybe weren't offering, you were just offering expenses instead of offering decent contracts? You probably would have got some of them. But I just think it's a it was a case that they said, okay, we need to make a splash here. We need to make a massive make a massive hurrah. And I think the one thing that comment that sort of come back to bite them is the comment about raising the standard of the league. That's been because we've seen Shell fans, we've seen female fans sort of jump all over that comment from an interview at the start of the year because, because of the fact that they're all saying while they're saying they're raising the standards, they're just throwing money in at it and expecting results. Whereas the problem is, is there's games like the Bowes game away. You don't expect them to drop points in there. They should have lost the P-Mount in PRL Park. There's other games where they, they've got lucky a little bit as well. Like when you reflect on it, like for a new team, if they finish second, on paper you have to say it's a good result. But I 100% agree with you. Certain people in the background will be will be asking questions. Was it a good? Was it really? Is it really a good result? But the other side of it, from from the likes of ourselves looking in, is while we would have experience and know know Collie O'Neill, it's Collie's first year in women's football as well. So it's got it's yet you look at the management team. Not the only ones, not many of them in the women's would have experience within the women's game as well, which is a completely different environment to come into. So. I think while others in the background probably had a a bit of an unrealistic expectation that they were going to win the league, I think if if they'd have won the league, it would have been a miracle for me. That's being that's being honest, even with the players they signed. A question for you: Obviously, the impact of having a shorter season, two rounds of games rather than three rounds of games, is an impact as well. They went from having maybe twenty-seven games to only having twenty to try and win that league title. If they had those extra seven or ten games, as it might be in an eleven-team league. Uh, do you think realistically they might have been competitive at the end with another crack at Piedmont and Shelburne later on down, or, or would it be looking just maybe at a, an extension of, of more or less the same? I don't know. I, I honestly don't know because the problem is, is and this is going back to uh, going back to Piedmont United. Is could you see Piedmont United over in over a longer season dropping more, dropping a lot more points? That's the other question. I'm not con- I'm not convinced because realistically, they should have beaten Shamrock Rovers when they played in PRL Park. The the, the last of P- the last of Shelburne was 10, 15 minutes of madness where they conceded four goals in, in that period and went from being one 0 up to four one down. Like other than that, they've looked comfortable in nearly majority of the games. So like I would say realistically, if, if there was another another round of games, I would fancy Piedmont to pick up at least another eight wins out of that, maybe nine wins out of that, and still be out countering out in front. Whereas do I think do I think Rovers will be better over a longer season? Yes, I do think they'll be better, but I'd still say that it's still a fancy payment to get the, get get this get this equivalent amount of points per game over yeah. the, over the longer over the longer season. In terms of Wexford, obviously you mentioned Ellen Malloy back, huge addition to the team. Um, we've seen players of her quality move on from the league. She may have gone had the uh, injury not happened. She's in education, so maybe that's a, a factor in her decision as well. Uh, can we expect to see a player of Malloy's class in the league in say this time next year? It's difficult. It's difficult. The problem with the problem is, is as you say, with the education. Does Alan does Alan want the like a lot of a lot of people now 
realise the importance of education. Like if if LMLI was to do a college college course and then go, would it ha- would it hamper? Probably not because yeah. I, I think I think realistically she could still go. Like and, and we we talked about Amber Barrett multiple times. Amber Barrett is a prime example. Even players like Louise Quinn went away with educate went away with college stuff in the background. Megan Campbell went to went to America, albeit to play with Florida State, but she was in college in in Carlo first. Like players are now realizing as well that they're not going to make a living when they retire off football. So I think education is as education is as important. Like I know some players when they go abroad do college courses do college courses as well. I think it's more it's more in, in tune just to what they want to do. The only problem from Ellen is. I think Ellen, before Ellen makes any decision, Ellen will just want to play regularly. Ellen won't want to stay stay injury-free because coming back from that ACL, there's, there's always a massive risk. But I think with Wexford Youth, with the players around, that uh, she's got she's got a lot of players that that, that would have helped her through. Obviously, like so Rihanna, done it multiple times. Kira Rossler's done it twice. Adele Kennedy, players who've done the ACL would be able to sort of mentor her and I don't think Ellen will be in a rush. Do I think Ellen will eventually go? Yes, I do think she will eventually go. When I'm not sure, it all depends if she wants to stay with the education or she want or she is looking at going straight away. But from what I can see with Ellen, Ellen is Ellen is quite grounded. Yeah, she seems to be a, a fairly clued in kind of young one. In terms of the other games last weekend, that loan made the trip down to Bishopstown. Uh, I suppose been a tough week for everybody in Cork, not just in a football context, but in a it's a survival context. Uh, some very very tough news coming out of um, places, particularly like some Middleton, seemed to be very hardly hit with the floods across the county last week. Uh, the game did go ahead, but moved out to Bishopstown. Um, we've talked about that uh, situation about playing in Bishopstown. We're not going to get into it again today. We don't have the time, but in terms of uh, the game on the field... I was surprised it was played. I'm not going to lie. I thought, yes, when we look, look at what was happening in, in Cork in, in the last week, I was like, there's not hope. no hope. It gets... It gets played, but like the fact that they actually got to play, uh, I think is a po- is a, is a, is a positive from a Cork City viewpoint. Obviously, being three 0 down and then and then scoring late on, scoring a, a, a consolation goal late on, it's just another another sign of when they step up against the slightly better opposition, they're struggling. They don't they don't seem to be able to sort of match match them match the teams. And like once once go once Cork uh, score early, you're sort of thinking it's going to be Athlone cruise control. It was a nice first goal from Dana Sheriff, and then. Chloe gets a second and then Dana adds a, adds a third and like comfortable enough win for Athlone in the end and not not really surprising. I think the only thing from an Athlone viewpoint is the fact they conceded the late goal. That, that'll be the thing that disappoints them. But then the Sheriff moving up to the top of the scoring scoring charts as well. I, I, I'd be interested and we'll have a look at it in a bit to look at our goals per minute. Like it's been impressive enough this she's been impressive enough this season with that. And, I think my Cork viewpoint it's just going to be see out the last couple of games and try and focus and rebuild for next year. Well, thankfully, she uh, very conveniently went to 10 goals at the weekend. So it's uh, 83.7 minutes. I can do that one in my head. That's not the most difficult of divisions. And so it's more than a goal per 90 minutes, which is is impressive. Probably that's what we would have seen in the league in the early days. Um, and with all due respect to the likes of Anya and Stephanie, who you mentioned earlier, they would have been hitting like a goal a game but they were playing against some very weak opposition in those years who just weren't able to compete. Can I, can I ask you a question then? What? Are you surprised to see after 17, 18 games, the top scorers 10 goals this year? No, I think it's, I am. You think it should be higher or lower? I thought it would have been about, I thought it would have been about 14 or 15 at least. But I think it's it, that stemmed from the fact, 
uh, that the teams at the lower end are no longer the cakewalk that they used to be. Like, um, I think we did an analysis earlier in, in the year about last year's top scorer, which I think was Emily Corbett off the top of my head. And most of her goals came against teams in the bottom half of the league. Now, that's not, they're still goals, they still count. Um, but in the, the crunch games against the top sides, uh, goals are harder to come by across the board for strikers. And even, I think I saw a ridiculous thing on social media during the week about Harry Kane, where somebody made the argument that he scored zero important goals for England because they've all come in friendlies and against teams like San Marino and, and that sort of thing, that he hasn't scored in a crunch game against anyone in the top 10 at a, at a World Cup finals. Now, they went completely OTT, but the point of it is that those kind of gimmies, like, even when I was younger, we've talked about how old I am already. Thanks very much for that. Uh, but when I was younger going to games, like my first international game was a 5-0 victory for Ireland over Turkey. That would never happen today. We'd be lucky to get away with a 5-0 defeat on some days against Turkey. So um, there are times out there when you kind of think um, you don't have the gimmies, like the 7-8-9-0s against the likes of Andorra and San Marino and uh, Gibraltar. They just don't exist anymore in the international game. And the same applies at local level. Um Treaty aren't a, a pushover anymore. Like they got beat three uh, one. We'll talk about that in a minute uh, at the weekend. Three uh, 0 sorry at the weekend. Uh, but they were very unlucky. They were again beaten by the better side, but with a bit of luck, could have got a point out of that game very very easily. Um, we're seeing teams harder to score against this year, and and even now looking at um, the league table here in front of me, the goals conceded by the teams at the bottom half of the table. It's just over two two and a half goals a game. There are seasons where that might have been five or six goals a game. And and I think that's playing into it. If you look at the men's league, the men's league, um, it's it's less than 50% of games, um, per, uh, goals per game, if that makes sense. It's about 36 games. If you, someone hits 20, it's a phenomenal season in the, in the League of Ireland. I think that's about right. Um, so yeah, really long answer to a very short uh, question. Um, in terms of, but, but I, think, I think it's the goalkeepers since the defense is getting better at the lower end of the table is reducing that down. And and I think we're looking at quality of Dana Sharif and we, we, our Sheriff. We've seen her come uh, up with some absolute screamers. The first goal the other day was was fabulous uh, to put them on the on the way. And I think there's, there's potential there for, for us to see. Like Onya Gorman's had a good season and only got nine goals in 16 starts. So she'll that'll show you kind of how, how that works. Ten years ago, she'd have got, that'll be 20, 21, 22 in 17 games. The opportunities just aren't there anymore. I like it though. I I do like it, but I, I I maybe it's just I expected a little bit more. My my real my rationale or realistics were were a little bit too too high. But like I, to be honest, which I I used to hate going to certain games where you know a top team is going to play a weak team. You're, you're seven eight nails. And then you're looking at like this season, for example, Treaty United against Shelburne and Talca Park. One nil. If if Treaty take the chance they have, they might score. They score, score in the game. They could get something out of that game. And I think that's probably the major big difference is that we're, I think these smaller teams no longer have that massive fear factor. While some players probably still have a bit of a fear factor. In general, they don't have that massive fear factor that they used to have when they go out. Oh, we're playing against Noel Murray. We're playing against Pearl Slattery. We're playing against these big names. It's it's difficult. Whereas now, I think they just the younger kids don't care who they're playing against. The younger kids just come out and say it's it's just another game of football. And because they've been used to playing highly competitive games from a, a younger age, and I think it all stems back to the growth from the underage leagues. Oh, 100%. And I think as well as that, the other side of it is we know these players because of what we've watched them do over the last decade or so, 
to be all with all due respect, these youngsters are coming into the league probably with only a year or two's knowledge of these girls, and they're putting in a 10-goal season rather than a 20-goal season. So that fear maybe isn't as high based on the reality of how these players have progressed through their... I've seen, seen a great picture last Thursday on social media, the day after Shells, play, Shells beat Sligo, and it was it was Leah Riley who played fullback for Shelburne. Her mother put a picture up on social media, and it's, it's Leah from a couple of years ago standing on the sideline watching the players to now being on the pitch. And I just thought it's poignant because like we, we, we can look back and think, you know, I remember watching you and you made a debut prime example. I remember watching Heather Payne making her, making her female debut. These players have been, I've been lucky enough to be there when they've made debuts at national league. They've now gone on to play at a high level, play for Ireland and stuff like that. I mean, when we look back and now the next generation, you know, there's going to be more and more of them that we're going to say, yeah, we were there when you made your debut or we seen you score your first goal. I just I think it's cool. I think it's 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 the it's the one thing that, that I love about the league is the fact that there's so many untold stories or un, untold things that you know we, we never thought we'd see that tend to come to fruition. Yeah, it's even better when you're the person who gave them their debut at certain standards. That's quite a nice little ring to it as well. I've actually just uh, while you've been chatting there, I've been working away in the background here to uh to actually uh, work on that stat you asked for the goals per 90 minutes. Um, now there will be a little bit of rubbish at the top where players, one players come on scored in about three minutes of an appearance. So or <laughs> the first couple, uh, but I've made a quick little change here on the website just to, to reflect that. So if I bring it in here quickly, well, why, uh, why we're looking, why we're looking at this? I have another one that I have another one that I, I think we need to get to the bottom of it, and I think I know the answer. You probably seen me tweet the other day. I think Neve Burke's now the most successful women's League of Ireland player of all time, if I'm not mistaken, with six titles. Yeah, I don't know if that's accurate but it sounds about accurate the camp because I, th- I think the likes of noel i think noel has five like it's something i, I was looking to, but yeah you, like you, yeah like you look at you look at these like the likes of yeah. well you can ignore a lot of the no offense to the early girls but they've less than two games really mm-hmm. played in terms of minutes on the pitch um but danish sheriff here 10 goals in 837 minutes is is fairly impressive um, others who've played in a few games like Lauren Kelly okay she's come on as a sub 12 times average of about 10 minutes she's got two goals Kay um, Mooney's is impressive yeah absolutely but y- you work your way down through Gemma Quinn again uh, we haven't seen a whole pile of Gemma on, on the field uh, but scoring what two goals in every three games basically Gillian Keenan something similar three goals in five games Christy Gray I was surprised by how little time Christy Gray's actually played I wasn't I wasn't and because I've because I've watched a lot of Shelburne, but like the last couple of weeks, you've just seen how important she's been to Shells, and I'm shocked. I'm shocked that she hasn't played more, but I knew she hadn't played as much. And like for me, like we've talked at length about Shells players coming in from abroad. For me, her and Maggie Pierce have been the, the two players that have come in have been that have been superb for them. The last, if you look at the, the foreign signs in the last couple of years. Can I add Morgan Reese to that list as well? I think she's been really impressive in the last few weeks. Yeah, but Morgan's only really come in since the summer summer break, so she hasn't played an awful lot of games. She's someone who, like, she's someone who I'd, I'd like to see if Shells can hang on to them three for next year. I think they'd definitely be a, a good a good way to add, to add to the spine of the team, especially if you've got the likes of the young Hannah Healy, Rebecca Devro, Leah Riley. There's even uh, Kate McCarran. There's some smashing young talents in that Shelburne team. I think as much as the old guard won't like me saying this, but I think the reliance on the old guard will eventually phase out at Shelburne to where these next younger generation, because you look at that under 17s team from Shelburne, I think they're unbeaten in 
I think it was 20 odd get 20, I think it's all 20 or 30 odd games stemming back even in the last season, you know. So like there's no doubt they've got young talent there, but it's about all these youngsters making that next step up. But the goals per minute one, when you look at some of the players, it's it's actually quite impressive. Yeah, no, I'll probably just take that off the site, but we will maybe do an article around um some of the impressive stuff there, even though like as I move down to the list, Madison Gibson 0.43 goals per, per 90 minutes, Chloe Singleton 0.42, Jenna Slattery's in that same boat ballpark, Hannah Healy's in there, limited time, just over 200 minutes on the field, but she has found the back of the net. And um, like there's there's some really impressive results in there in, in terms of how many players are around that, maybe two goals every five games. Mark. Um, and I mean, when I say games, I mean by 90 minutes fully played on the on the field. Um, there's a lot of uh, kind of impressive performances there from a lot of players, so uh, plenty to talk about. The final game, of course, of the weekend was that game, Treaty United and Galway United, uh, Battle of the Western Seaboard. Uh, Galway made the journey down to Limerick. Well, some of the Galway girls made the journey down to Limerick. A lot of them are already based fairly locally to Limerick anyway. They, they're well familiar with the markets field. They played there for long enough. Um Kate Thompson with an early goal, ball kind of fell out of the box to the edge. She was very composed, took her time, one touch, got it out up from under her feet, picked it kind of just over, over Uliak and just under the crossbar. And the second one was almost a carbon copy. Jodie Griffin, her first goal in the WNL uh, in senior football. She'll be delighted with that. Um, but almost a carbon copy, very little anybody could do from a treaty point of view with just two really top-class finishes. Uh, the end of it, though, the, the last goal... Um, very little again that uh that I suppose Uliak could do to stop Galway it was just a I suppose defensively they'll be disappointed with how that one happened probably more so than the others uh, it was a header at the back post last literally the last touch of the game uh, to, uh, to wrap up the game and uh, from uh, Jamie Erickson's point of view she'd be delighted to have got that I think I have to give Galway a lot of credit I just had a look there September the 9th it's the last time they played like that's a long time to go without a game and to win three 0 and and to sort of you know to to sort of do that I think it's it's it's, it's impressive and like it's the one thing we talk about the stop start nature of the league when you look at when you look at stats like that Bows haven't Bows don't play for for four weeks as well from from their last game up until the Shells game next week like that's the only one major downside of the league being with a, with an odd number of teams hopefully. We see next year with um with an additional team coming in potentially hopefully we see an additional team coming in to even that number up but there's one team i don't think it will be and by the looks of things i don't think we'll see a dundalk team coming in anytime soon with the with the stuff we're hearing with the with the men's budgets and stuff like that being cut so like that was one we were hoping to see maybe in the next year maybe we might see the likes of a draw the united or a cove rambler sort of replying to come in but i do think from a national league viewpoint we need to have an odd number an even number of teams otherwise I think this into the minority of the international breaks and the way things work, I think the odd number of teams is just extremely frustrating. It's funny you say that because Drotty United, uh, head of women's football, uh, is uh, also Nora in the news today. She's also in the news today and she's involved in uh, something we were going to chat about at the end of the show, but we might as well talk about it now when it's here. Getting her first taste against League of Ireland opposition in that role as head of uh, women's football in Drotty United. She's part of the coaching staff, or the management staff, for want of a better word, um, for the underdogs, and it's taken on a, a soccer context this year for the first time, and it's going to be uh, a group of ragtag uh, ladies who've uh, been around the game, but maybe not at national league level in recent times, uh, coming together to try and take on. I 
I think it's going to be Galway United based on some of the the promos that I saw being shot after the Avenir Cup final. Uh, it looked to be a kind of a, a face-off. They've, uh, they've also been, they've been going for quite a long time. I know they've played Cork City in a friendly. I know they've they've played a couple of... No, spoiler, couple. Alert. spoiler alert. If someone actually wants to watch the series, it starts tonight. No, the only reason I know they played Cork City in a friendly is, beca- is because um, someone, from, someone from, from Cork actually said it to me that they they played it in and around the just before the uh, Terran Euro Cup game. So other than that, I wouldn't have actually known. I don't know. I don't know the ins and outs. I, I'm intrigued to see how it's going to work. I was I was wondering to what team they would play in the end. Like realistically, could you imagine that a, a game if it is if it is potentially a Galway and it's the name of DC Park or something? Like I was I was wondering what they do. Maybe a National League eleven players who've never played together in team. You know. It's, well, that's it's, what, it's, it's, it's it's what the WNL uh, that's what the underdog team is, you know. No, what I'm talking about the, the who they play against if they play against a National League eleven, so like the the team of the year, for example. But like you look at, I think the criteria was you can now you cannot have been capped at senior level, um, you have to have not been in the National League in the last three years. Like we've seen a couple of players who've sort of names who've been snippets on social media. I think uh, Stephanie Bowden is one of them. Barbara Connell's the other one who 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 the face that we're seeing plastered all over the place. For anybody who's listening, Barbara O'Connell is the mother of, of Cork City duo Alex Mendez and Jesse Mendez. So Barbara would have Barbara would have played in the National League yeah. years ago. Yeah, yeah, it's amazing to think both of us would have got to see both both of our kids play and her play in the National League. And you know, to see it being a full a full circle. I think I think it's gonna be intriguing. Um the next couple of weeks, I, I, I've seen from some of the promo shots that they released on social media. They've done a lot of training out in PML as well. Be interesting to see what way, the, what the dynamic is. Maeve the Burke obviously involved as well, former Ireland international and Galway, Galway WFC star. So I'm excited to see see what they do, how they go about it, what sort of yeah vibe it is. It, I'm really, I'm really looking forward to watching it. If I'm quite honest with you, and uh, it goes out tonight, as we said, TG Carr. I think it's nine o'clock. Is it start? Nine thirty. Yeah. Um. But it well worth watching. Of course, Maeve DeBurke has been on this show many times with us uh, as a co-host prior to your uh, arrival in the the role, Aaron. But um, it's I know I looked through the the promo stuff to kind of see if I recognized any of the faces. Of course, I've worked with Stephanie in the past. Uh, I would have coached teams against Barbara. She was the bane of my life for a couple of seasons when she was at Colossal Stefan Nefa back in the day. Um, but it's it's been a, an interesting time. Leah McGrath is one that stands out to me. She's a player who was underage with Sligo Rovers in their first year under 17. She would have been on the same side as Roshi Malloy um, at that time and obviously fell out because of, she was too old. They didn't have a team for her to go to at the time playing with Con Rangers recently in the Mayo League. And she's a player who I would have thought would have been definitely good enough to step up to National League level. And I think she will make an impact. And I wouldn't be surprised if we see her. I know she's in University of Dublin at the moment. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if we see her and others like her being drafted into the Women's League of Ireland next season because I think uh, we're going to see some absolute classic players in that thing. And it's going I to be can't, a- but I can't. But I said it, you've probably seen me tweet. Uh, I tweeted this off the WNL show account last, uh, last night. I can't believe no club has taken a gamble on Kira Smith in recent years. Probably one of the best junior footballers in the country, and like players like that, like I, I, a lot of them have, some of them have points to prove. I think that's what makes it what makes it spicy. I just want to get your opinion though on the fact that TG Carr committing to a series of women's football. We've seen ladies football. We've seen um, hurling. We've seen Gaelic football. 
how big is it though for TG Carr to actually turn around and say, do you know what, we're going to do a series on women's football? I don't think in the modern day with the World Cup and the attention that the women's football national team got, uh, I don't think it's a difficult sell. I think it. No, I not would... that it's difficult, but how important is it? Oh, it's massive. It, because I would have been at the first final, and I think they played in the Fianna or a Dublin selection um, back in the day in a, in a Gaelic version of this probably 15 years ago. I can't remember exactly, but I was in college at the time. Um, and they played in Parnell Park. It was an awful night weather-wise, but it was a great atmosphere. And to watch the lads who probably felt their days of being at that level were behind them get that opportunity. And as far as I can remember, it was really tight. I think the underdogs might have won that game. No, I um, don't think it did. I, I remember the game. I think it was Adam myself. I think it was actually Adam myself. Yeah, but it was it was awesome. We did meet many, many moons ago. I love it. Um, but in terms of the um I, I think it's a great series and it's got that kind of uh as a TV spectacle, it's great because it's like I, I don't want to cast aspersions on the on the players because individually they've all done their own thing, but they're just like just an FYI, players. it was it was actually 2018 when the underdogs first started. No, no, there was an underdogs TG that can't be right. We can figure it out. We'll chat about it. We'll chat about it. But I think it's great. Series. I do but, think it's great. Yeah, it's maybe a revived series, but there was definitely uh 2006 was the original one. They ran a three-season one, 06 to 08. So it's they did have a, a fairly big profile back then and went out of operation for about 10 years, but they, they were back. Then. I, I think this sort this sort of stuff, like I think I think that just a pit for me it epitomizes what TG Carr's his culture is when it comes to women's football. Like you look at the, the amount of games they've covered this year, the the fact that they're, they're adding uh, spicing in a bit of a bit of um underdogs as well. Interesting. I seen it. I seen a comment on social media the other day. There's been one national. There's been one League of Ireland club who has never featured on TG Carr since they've started showing live games. Do you know who it is? Wow. Um, never featured. Yeah. It's got to be a first division team and it's no, not in the League of Ireland, Women's League of Ireland. Oh, the Women's League of Ireland. Sorry. Um, one team. Well, who have I seen? I've seen Piedmont, I've seen Wexford, I've seen Shell, I've seen, I've seen Sligo. Um, you're probably going to tell me it's Galway or something, but that, that's no, no, that's not right. Um, I don't know, maybe DLR. Nope. DLR played Galway on it recently. The only team that hasn't, that won't feature. Or hasn't featured yet is Cork City, and coincidentally, Cork City had no one at the launch last year. So people are putting two and two together because Treaty United are, are playing against Treaty United's next home game is actually going to be live against Shamrock Rovers is going to be live on on TG Car. So that'll be the only one not to be featured will be Cork City. Well, like there is an element of you scratch our back, we scratch yours. If you don't play ball, it's it's very easy to get left out. Not saying that's what's happened, but. I can understand why if you've got a coin toss between two games, you will go with the people who you find easiest to work with. And I'm not saying the Cork are difficult to work with because in my experience that hasn't been the case at all. But um, if they don't show up for a, a press conference, that stuff tends to stick around, unfortunately, for, for teams involved. I um, think from a treaty viewpoint, though, I don't think Treaty's game would have been shown live if Piemont hadn't have beaten... Wexford's because I'd say if that was the case that Piemont still had to win the league, I'd say they'd have shown uh, Galway against Piemont on the same day. 
yeah, I would imagine so. And that we all know how that works out when go with uh, payment on the last day of the season. It doesn't work out in Second last day, but that was that was don't forget it's been in PRL PRL. I've always said this about Galway. They always have a better chance of getting a result against Piedmont in PRL Park. When it comes to Amy DC Park, they never seem to get a result against them. Well, home home advantage is not an advantage all of the time. Uh, let's talk finally, I suppose, before we wrap up about the um there are some fixtures in the middle of next week. Um the the two games that were weren't played because of the weather a couple of weeks back uh, they will be played next Wednesday evening of course we've got internationals we've finished with that but in terms of uh, next Wednesday night we see Athlone Town travel to Galway uh, for a reasonably local derby there as uh, Athlone will travel down the M6 uh, to Galway and uh, take them on again most of those girls know each other from colleges and they've both been around both a lot of them have been around both clubs in recent years and the Dublin Derby DLR Waves and Shamrock Rovers they'll do battle as well as both those sides look to uh, get some points on the board um we won't really talk about that because we might chat about it on another show before then but let's talk about tomorrow night Tallis Stadium sold out in like in no time at all Oh, tell me more. I'm seeing because I'm still seeing flickers of tickets appear on on Ticketmaster as early as as early as today. There was a couple of tickets on on Ticketmaster. And the problem for me, Brafney, is we're really going to see the commitment to the Ireland women's team tomorrow because the fact that that game is a five forty five kickoff will really test how much. People are committed to whether they want to go or whether they want to come. Like if I go on to Ticketmaster right now, for example, there's, there's, there are tickets available. Yeah, there's, there's tickets in at least what seven different blocks available. There may only be a number of tickets in each block available, but for me, like I've seen, I've seen there was a hundred or something the other day. And there's been different ones that have popped up. Like the five forty-five kickoff is, is tough. It's a difficult sell because of the fact that you've you've also got Shamrock, you've also got a full round of the League of Ireland games on straight after. So anybody who may have gone to the see Ireland to or a League of Ireland fan, they won't go because of the fact if if if, if they were going to watch go to a League of Ireland game. But then you've also got a League of Ireland game on television at seven forty five where Shamrock Rovers can, poten- can potentially win the league. So for me, it'll be interesting to see what the numbers are, what the uptake is. I do expect to see empty seats. I hate to say that. I do expect to see empty seats. I think if they get more than, say, 7,300 at the game, that's giving them a buffer of about 700 tickets. I think that would be good. I'd like to see every ticket used, but that's that's us sort of being optimistic. And I think off the back of a good start to the to the Nations League, I think the Albania games are probably the Albania game is probably a game where. Ireland fans might see goals. I, I would expect Ireland to probably score at least five or six goals in this in this game. And Do sort of I don't think she will. I don't think she will. I think we might see I think I think we'll see Sinead Farley come back into the team. Um the one thing I'm gonna say, and I said this on social media as well, all the conspiracy theories about Sinead Farley, they're gone. The people questioned whether she was committed or whether it was yes. was it a really was it an injury or was it the the because of the incident that happened at the World Cup. Sinead has proven that Sinead has made herself available after after the back the back issue and she is she is in the Ireland camp. She is training with Ireland today and she's full ready full ready to go. Megan Campbell also coming back in as well. Yeah, that's a strange one for me because I think the fact that she's played about four minutes, three minutes, tail end of a game the other day, um, maybe two weeks ago uh, for Everton, and that's all she's played really in about six months since the 
some of the earlier internationals in in the season. Um, in it's last... a bit of a it's a bit of a how would you say it's a bit of a contradictory towards Marissa Shiva to say Shiva's not in the squad because Shiva's not playing enough, and then to bring Megan Campbell in after Megan playing limited minutes. Meg, you have to remember the last time Megan would have played more than more than what half a game of football. It's probably the very start. It's probably the start of the mid, mid start of the year, probably. But to be fair, and I'm a fan of Marissa Shiva. I think she adds something to the side that we need, and I'd like to see her in the squad. But I think the uh, the reality is she hasn't even come off the bench for her side, Washington Spirit, in the last few, probably in the last month since the last international break. She hasn't kicked a competitive ball in for a single minute, and that's I with with no obvious injury. Whereas Megan mm-hmm. Campbell is coming back from injury. It's not quite the same situation. What is but it, I, Campbell? I do see the contradictory element to it, yeah. Is it a gamble to bring Campbell in? It's the same thing. We had the conversation and you asked me, you asked me, should Alan Malloy be in the squad? And I turned around to you and said, no, I don't want to see Alan Malloy near the squad yet. I want to see Alan take the time to actually get fit and get get back playing regularly and then bring her back in when, when she's 100% ready. I just think bringing Megan Campbell back in, are you going to increase the load on her? Are you going to, like, realistically, if you want to have Megan Campbell in, that's fine. Megan Campbell should not be playing either of these two games. If, if you want to bring her off the bench for 10, 15 minutes for one of the games, fine. But you cannot start Megan Campbell in either of these games and put undue, undue load under, considering she only signed for Everton days before yeah, isn't it? The, the, the opening day of the season. So she hasn't actually put in a full preseason with Everton. Yes, she's been doing alternative training and we've seen it on social media, but she hasn't been doing full football training for, for weeks upon weeks and had a full preseason. I only fear that if they if they do put her in for 45, 50 minutes, she gets injured and then she's gone again. And then it's no benefit to anybody. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that. But I think Everton will be having an input in that as well in terms of her how much she's used in this uh, international window. I don't see the point in risking her. I think it's not a bad idea to have her in the squad to see how she's getting on firsthand um, for the, the coach that's there just to see if she still has what it takes to play at this level. I believe she will have, but it's a bit... I'm, it's a bit of a strange one. I, I would rather have seen um, other players in the squad that have played a little bit more game time recently. But I think Megan, listen, she's a she's a battler. She's been there. She's done it. She's won everything that you, there is to win in the game. Um, and she's been at some of the biggest clubs, biggest universities in the country in the in the world. I think she'll be all right when it, when push comes to shove. Um, will she play a full ninety minutes week in week out for Everton this season? Probably not. Have we seen the best days of her in an Ireland jersey? Possibly. But I wouldn't rule out her being involved in, in future Ireland successes. Yeah. And obviously a change in the goalkeeping structure as well. Well, so I'd like to see a different goalkeeper get an opportunity. And it's not that Courtney Brosnan's done anything uh, that deserves taking looks at, but we need to be better prepared in that respect. And I think either a change in half-time, uh, if we're in a, if we're three or four nil up, sticking a different goalkeeper. They're not going to have to do a whole pile if that is the, the situation, but it's just being comfortable with the players around you and the circumstances and a big crowd and being on the pitch. It's very different to sitting on the bench. And I just think I'd like to see um, either of the two reserve keepers get an opportunity. Ideally, 45 minutes each in the second half of both games would be my pref- would be my preferred outcome for the next two days uh, or the next two games. But Remember, February 2020, February 2022. It's the last time a different goalkeeper played in golf world. Yeah, it's 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 too long in the environment that's there. And I think if you don't trust your keepers, then look elsewhere. Uh, there are players who are eligible who maybe uh, you might have more faith in. Um, 
But at the moment, that that is who is in possession of the the three goalkeeping jerseys in the squad, and I think it should. I think they need to be given a little bit of confidence and given it because it, it must be demoralising coming in for squad after squad after squad and and knowing that there's no chance of you seeing the the pitch. That's that's got to be tough to take. Oh, 100 percent, that has to be. And like there's other players, who, there's other players, outfield players who've come into squads and probably haven't kicked the ball for Ireland as well in a number in a number in a number of period as well, like. If results go our way, so for example, because we're playing Albania in a double header, for example, if the North draw against Hungary in the first in their first game against Hungary, and Ireland beat Albania, realistically, then Ireland are on the verge of top in the group. If she decides, then she's going to go with a full strength team against Albania just to potentially top the group. The last two games, then you're looking at experiment. That's when you're looking at your experiment. If you've already topped the group with four games played, then you look at potentially experimenting in both them games, but. I do agree with you. I would like to see her try things like a new goalkeeper, try out some players, because the one problem with Ireland over the last period has been it kind of falls back under fear as well. 90% of the, or 85% of the time, probably, you can probably t- tell which players are going to come on each game, and it's been the same sort of substitutes used and things like that, To whereas it's pretty much same 16, 17 players maximum that are getting game time. Yeah. A hundred percent. I think uh, probably four or five of the girls going to the World Cup. Uh, you could have put money on the fact that they weren't going to see a minute and kind of materialized a bit like that. Um, mm-hmm. There's just there maybe because of time served rather than what they're actually going to bring to the actual squad. But I think that's been a feature of the Irish squad over years is maybe a lack of trust in in jersey number 17 to 22 or 23 in the squad it just hasn't been that and i don't mean that physical jersey but the uh the, the players who kind of fit those roles within the squad it just it hasn't been there i think we've seen a bit more of that from eileen i'd like to see more of it again just in terms of developing the players um final thing and it's just the last talking point ahead of the game tomorrow uh, only one irish league irish based player in the squad erin mclaughlin comes back in after her injury woes. Savannah, uh, Savannah McCarthy left out. They said due to illness, but she played the week, she played the weekends for for Shamrock Rovers. Yeah, it's 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 not great, but it's gonna be it's gonna be a thing for the next little while. I think we're gonna see a very limited number of home based players in. And there is other one other thing I do need to talk about on this game. Um, if plays tomorrow, Diane Caldwell will win her one hundredth cap, become the sixth female player to reach the century mark for Ireland. Um, I remember speaking to her before the World Cup. She sort of didn't know whether she'd get to the 100 caps. I think if Vera Powell had stayed on, she probably would have retired uh, off the back of the World Cup, but on course to, to make that 100 cap tomorrow against against Albania. Yeah, um, we do keep those statistics on the site as well, uh, with the caveat that they only date from 2005, so we don't have Emma Byrne with her full complement, and there might be a few others uh, missing a couple of caps from that era as well. But if we look at it, uh, that is the uh, accurate for the most part, from 2005 to now, the number of caps there on your government, of course, recently retired. Louise Quinn will go 1-1-1 as well. So uh, plenty of opportunities there for players. If I just zoom in a little bit there, you'll be able to read it a little bit easier um, in terms of, of what players have done. Uh, so a couple of familiar names in there as well that will feature tomorrow night. Katie McCabe getting close to that 100 as well, and she's still a, a young woman. Yeah, Katie will Katie'll get, get that 100. I'd say Katie will... Katie will get that 100 by 2025, I'd suspect. Yeah, and probably smash uh, Onya's record as well. It's, it's Emma Burns' yeah, Emma, record. Emma Burns' record, Emma Burns' record cap, yeah. Yeah, well, obviously, that that 
figure just from 2005 to, to now we will continue to backdate that as we grow the site but at the moment uh, that's all that's there um tomorrow night predictions you think five or six now yeah i'd say five or six nil ireland yeah, I hope so. Anything less than that is a, is a discussion against a team at the calibre of Albania. Listen, that's it. We'll see you tomorrow night in the uh, uh, Tala Stadium. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, it's going to be a, a good game and a good another good opportunity for Ireland to show what they can do. Uh, we'll be back next week with another show. We'll chat to you then.